uh, we're, we're starting this series again called Stewards. We began this uh, back in February, January or February. Stewards, uh, and, and by the way, I'm going, th- this, this series is uh, May 3rd, May 10. You might say, how are you going to preach about stewardship on Mother's Day? Don't you care about mothers? Yes, I do. Proverbs 31 paints a beautiful picture of a wonderful steward in, uh, in, in, on Mother's Day. It's great. So come back for that. We'll get back to that in a second. Uh, and then May 10 is Mother's Day. Do Proverbs 31. May uh, 17. Um, and then May 24th, uh, Philip Herring is going to be preaching on that day and then come back on May 31st. And that will end this portion of the Stewards series. And then we're going to pick it back up in October. And we're going to preach again this series. We'll finish it in uh, that month of October. That'll be the last rendition of Stewards. But as we pick this up, a couple of things that are important. Psalm 24, verse 1, very important. Everything on the earth belongs to the Lord. The world and all of its fullness, everything, everything, Everything belongs to the Lord. As we begin this idea of a steward and what we do with money, and I'm talking about money today. I'm not talking about uh, time or talent or resources. All that stuff is important, but today we're going to talk about money. When we begin this journey of evaluating how we're doing when it comes to money, uh, we need to begin with the big picture principle, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. All right, so, so that's important. Second thing I need to say is, as we talk about this, some of you are here and you're not followers of Christ. Or you're far from God. And, 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 and you're just, you're here, you've showed up, you're just trying to discover what this stuff is all about. And, and so here the preacher is talking about money. He says he's going to be talking about money for the next five Sundays. And, and so, I, you know, I understand that this may be a little uncomfortable for you. And I get that. And, and please know that, that there's a lot of things that we'll talk about that, that you don't understand, you don't get. And that's okay. You don't have to get. And, and it may might make you feel uncomfortable. I understand that as well, and I'm trying to be sensitive to that, but if you are here and you're not a member of our church or you're, you're, not, you're not a follower of Christ, not yet a believer, or, or you're far from God and, and you're here today, please just hold on. That's my, that's my plea to you. Uh, every week, I'm going to try my best, and I believe God will do it, give you something that, that you need. Uh, that, that he'll speak truth into your life, that he'll give you a principle or a promise that you didn't understand before. So if you're, if you're just questioning all this God stuff and, and you're not really sure about it, and now we're talking about, man, just keep coming back, keep coming back, just test and see if, if there's not something in each gathering, each time you get here, if there's not something that will speak directly to you. And, and I believe that there will be. Um, uh, and please understand, if it makes you uncomfortable, just, just have joy in the, in the fact that you are not the most uncomfortable person in the room. As uncomfortable as it makes you, those who are not members or not followers of Christ, as uncomfortable as this might make you, please know that the members here are far more uncomfortable than you are. 
It's a challenge for all of us to talk about money. It's that this is not one of those sermons that I go, woo, yes, I get to talk about money today. I don't don't look at it. And and these are not those talks where you are just, you walk away so inspired. Yeah, man, you, you are unbelievable, pastor, great talk. You know, these, this is not one of those times. And, and some of y'all are going to send it to me anyway just because you feel sorry for me now. Um, but but and, and, and my friend Jimmy Hunt and I talked uh, several years ago. I said some sermons are a, a, a bag of feathers, a soft pillow. Some sermons are like a bag of rocks. Whenever we talk about money, it's more like a bag of rocks than a soft pillow. And so five weeks of bag of rocks, that's not fun. But, but I believe it will be. I believe it will lead us where we need to go, okay? And it's going to help us uh, as followers of Christ. All right, so as we make this journey, a couple of things um, that, that, we, that I want us to look at. And the first one is um, that, that everything belongs to the Lord. That's the big picture principle. Everything belongs to God. And as followers of Christ, he has made us a steward, of those things. You know what a steward is? Here's a simple definition. A steward is someone who's been, um, who, who gets to hold the stuff that belongs to somebody else. That's a steward. You get to take care of stuff that belongs to somebody else. A picture of being a steward. I, I go shopping with my wife and my four daughters. We go into the mall, and, uh, and they, uh, they, they're there. They decide they want to try on clothes. So they come to me, and they load me down with all of their purses. And I stand there like a Christmas tree of purses. I am a steward of those purses. They don't belong to me. They belong to those women, and those women are going to get their purses back. And I'll give those purses back to them as soon as I can. Now, that's being a steward. I'm just taking care of them, just holding it for a while. Now, that's what being a steward is. Everything belongs to God, Psalm 24, verse 1. Everything, everything belongs to God. But you and I, as followers of Christ, we've been given the responsibility to handle stuff, his stuff, for a season. A steward is just someone who gets to hold somebody else's stuff for a while. And so here you and I are, and the money in in, in the checking account that has your name on it, that's not your money, that's God's money. And the money in the savings account that has your name on it, the the money in the retirement that has your name on it, that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to God. And the shoes on your feet, those are God's. And the car you drive, that's God's. And the, and the, uh, and the CDs, that's God. And, and the bass boat, that's God and, and mine. And, 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 I mean, God's. Uh, so everything belongs to God. So before we get to the idea of what we do about giving, we need to understand the big picture principle. Everything belongs to God. And as long as we follow that principle that everything belongs to God and I get to hold it for a while, then we are, we are walking in concert with the way the universe was created. But the minute we decide that everything belongs to me except for the little bit I want to give back to God, that's when we start having chaos in our lives. You get that? That's important. The minute we decide that everything belongs to me except for the little bit of portion I want to give back to God, 
When that's our perspective, that's when we start getting chaos in our lives and in our money. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, here's a little little tidbit principle that might be helpful. If you want to have... um, If you don't want chaos in your finances, then you find out the best principles to follow when it comes to finances. And the best principles to follow are those that come from the one who actually created everything and owns everything. So you want to follow financial principles that will help you and, and ex, uh, experience fullness in your finances. Well, then you've got to start with God. And that's, that's what, that's what uh, uh, Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He's talking about how to be joyful in your giving. Now, giving here is all about money. Again, I know that we give our time and we give our talent and, and we give our, our focus and our energy. All that's good. And I'm all about that. I, I thumbs up on that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15 is not about all that other stuff. It's all about your money. And, and I, I, I don't enjoy talking about money, but Jesus did. Jesus talked a lot about money. Paul talked a lot about money. And so when we get here today, there, there are just some things that we need to look at. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 6, here's what Paul says. Paul says, I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves, here it is, a cheerful or a joyful giver. God loves a joyful giver. Now, the problem is getting to the joyful part. As a follower of Jesus, we are good at grudge giving, but we're not really good at cheerful giving. We're happy to, oh, my goodness, I'm afraid. And, and here's grudge giving. Here's the way grudge giving looks. I'm afraid I'm going to get struck by lightning if I don't give my 10% tithe today. So I'll write the check or whatever, and I'll put it in the plate. I don't like it, but I'll do it because I don't want to get struck by lightning. How many of y'all remember Jimmy Stewart's prayer around the table in the movie Shenandoah? This is before the Civil War broke out on their land, and, and he has the whole family around the table, and he says, he says uh, you know, this is the corn we, we planted and we, we prepared, and, and this is the meat that we got on our own two hands, and this is, this is the beans that we took care of. Everything on this table we did by ourselves, but God, we're going to thank you just the same. And we, we go, oh my goodness, that's just scary. But here's the thing. That's the way we live our lives sometimes, isn't it? Mm. Oh, everything belongs to me, but I'm going to give God a little nod every now and then. Well, that's not how you get to the joyful part. That's the grudging part. And what God loves is someone who has an exhilarated spirit when they give to the causes that God has for us to give to. Now, uh, we'll get to this in a second, but I do want to make a clear emphasis. Giving here is not just giving to any charitable organization that you want to. This is giving for the purposes of God, uh, for the priority that he sets in place. This is giving in such a way that glorifies God greatly. 
And by the way, there's no way to glorify God when you're using your gifts in a grudging way or of necessity. Uh, another way of looking at it, if I'm using my, my tithe or my offering as a way to manipulate people or to coerce individuals or to, to make other people hurt or suffer, when I do that, make no mistake, that's, not a, that, that's a grudge giver. That, that's not a cheerful giver. God loves a joyful giver, one who has hilariousness in their heart. That's the Greek word is, is where we get exhilarate or hilarious. It's, it's the picture of joy bubbling up. Now, how do we get to that place called joy? Well, the first thing we've got to do to get to that place called joy is, is, is we need to see uh, the unconditional love of God at work in our heart. It, it's that it's that unconditional love of God that shapes our heart and leads us to joyful giving. Part of our problem is for many of us, we begin with the money when it comes to giving. I want you to think about this. You begin with your balance in your checking account, or you begin with how much money you have in savings. You begin with how many bills you have come and due. You begin with the money, and that's what influences your giving. Can I please offer a suggestion? Instead of beginning with the money, beginning with the, begin with the God who gave you the money. Begin with the relationship with God. Begin with your friendship with him. Begin with what he's already done for you. See, the reason Paul could say in verse 7, let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, the reason he could say that is because he knew the power of God's love to shape our hearts. When we begin with the focus on what God has done rather and is doing rather than on my balance in my checking account, then that changes everything. By the way, I don't need to come around here and check and see who's giving a certain percentage of their income to the church. I'm not interested in doing that. I, I, don't, I don't have the time, energy, or inclination. And when people come up to me and they say, well, should I give this percentage or that percentage? Usually what I discover is that people who want to give based upon a percentage are trying to figure out how little they can return to God. Well, rather, when we start focusing on all that God has done for us through Christ, it changes our focus. We're not trying to figure out how little we can give back to God, but rather we are looking at, oh my goodness, how much can I give back to God and still have bread on my table? It changes our perspective. Now, the way Paul talks about this, you look in verse 8, he says, he says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. I, I just want to talk about this. Um, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. I want you to underline that verse, just that portion. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Toward you. That's the picture of God's unconditional love. It is a picture of God's grace. Abound there is, is the picture of a river, 
a river uh, with its two banks, and, and during a flash flood, the water rising so quickly and so much that it overflows the banks and sweeps everything along in its path. That's the picture of God's grace here, that God's grace fills up your soul so much and fills up your life so much that it takes everything in its path toward a better destination. So when we look at God's grace abounding in us, we're looking first and foremost at how his love has rescued us. Stop. This is so key. You see, if we're going to give in a way that's joyful, it's when we focus first and foremost on God's grace that has rescued us. Oh, listen, we, we were separated from God for all eternity by our sin, and there was nothing we could do to, to, to bridge the distance between us and a holy God. We were living in the shackles of our own shame, overwhelmed by our own guilt, in the pain of our shame, and living in the groan zone of life because of our sin. We were empty, incomplete, living without hope because we were living without God in this world. That's who we were but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together in Christ Jesus. By grace, you have been saved. The God who has, has saved us is the God who deserves a giving that is not measured in pennies, but in pounds. It's all his anyway. So when we consider this grace abounding, we begin, uh, again, here's, here's what some of us do. Some of us begin on, oh, I'm not going to give to that organization because that organization's got people in it that I don't like. Oh, come on. You want to know? You want to know why you give through the church? It's because this is not an organization made by human hands for human consumption. But rather, this, this is the mighty construction of a loving, living God who says, I own this church. Christ is his head, and we are marching forward to accomplish what God has set before us. So if you're giving your money as a protest or not giving your money as a protest, just keep your money. Go find a church where you can be happy. I don't mean that ugly. I don't. But you're living in disobedience to God, and you don't need to do that anymore. Go to a place where you can live in obedience to God in your giving, where your first focus is not on what somebody did wrong to you, but your first focus is on how God loves you and has set you free. His grace abounds. As His grace abounds in us, and that's our focus. And, and our focus is not on our checking account, but our focus is on God's grace. When, when that's our focus... Then it moves on. It's not only the focus of God's grace that has rescued us, but it's also the focus of God's grace that sustains us. 
And that God's grace is able to abound toward you and, and is able to make you sufficient for all things, in all times, in every way, for every good work. God's grace is able to make you sufficient. Sufficient there is a Greek term. That means content, happy, uh, provided for. It's all taken care of. That's what God's grace does. You know, God's grace is not just something that sets us uh, free from sin and then leaves us out there as orphans. And God's grace is alive and active in us every single day. I think the reason so many of us struggle, so many of us are, are um, not significant givers is because we have failed to be significant receivers of God's love. We fail to understand what he has done for us. Look, the best thing we can do is to focus in, to lean in to God's love every day. That's what makes us joyful. The second thing we see in this passage is that, that, uh, that surrender uh, paves our path with joy. It paves the path uh, to joy and with joy. Surrender. Surrender is a big concept in Scripture. Lots of different words for surrender in the Bible. Um, but the biggest picture that I could paint for surrender is this. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Just say it. Say, say what? Living sacrifice. Say it. Living sacrifice. That is an, it's, it's, it's contradictory. It's a paradox. How do you be a living and a sacrifice at the same time? A sacrifice by its very nature is killed on an altar. It's dead. And yet Paul says, here's what our job is as followers of Christ, is to be a living dead thing. Boom. Now here's, here's the picture for us. Surrender is where we die to ourselves, so that we might be alive to God every day. A living dead thing. So that, so that I reckon myself dead indeed to sin, to the world. But I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's where I say, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I am a dead living thing. I'm dead to myself and I'm alive to God. That's the key. That's what surrender is. So if we're going to be joyful in our giving, it means that we are surrendering our all. We uh, sing this song and have sung this song, and I know it by heart. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all. Great song. We've sung it, but do we really, really mean it? I surrender everything except for my checking account. I surrender all to God except for the right for me to be secure in my own finances, for me to hold on to security, for me to, 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 to take care of myself. God, I, I surrender everything else to you, but not this. Well, guys, that's not surrender all. See, surrender is where we are a living dead thing. We're no longer pursuing um, the stuff for ourselves, but now we are pursuing simply the things that will bring honor and glory to God. And when we surrender our security, when we say, God, I'm going to give, I'm going to give in such a way that you are glorified. I'm going to give, 
I'm going to give in such a way that I'm surrendering myself and my stuff and my security. I'm going to give that way. When we give that way, then we are entrusting ourselves as dead things into the hands of a living God. We're saying, God, I'm yours. I'm dead otherwise. I'm yours. The way we find joy is when we understand that it is God who, in his grace, is making the all stuff abound. Look again in verse 8. He says, he says that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for all good work. He said, you got it all covered when you've given it all to God. That you've got it all covered when you've given it all to God. But have you given it all to God? Verse 12 and 13, he, said, he writes, uh, uh, oh, verse 10, I'm sorry. He says, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, all right, God is the one who gives you seed to sow. God is the one who gives you bread to eat. All this stuff comes from God. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. So may he then multiply this. As you devote yourself to being obedient to God, to glorifying God, as you devote yourself to demonstrate your right relationship with God, may he make your seed increase, make your crop grow even more bountifully. Um, I'm going to say something here that's maybe a little bit controversial to you, um, but not according to Scripture. Uh, as a follower, and listen to my language, it's very important. As a follower of Jesus Christ, how you give your money is a reflection of your relationship with God. How you give your money is a reflection of your relationship with God. It demonstrates a flourishing relationship or a stagnant relationship. It demonstrates a trusting relationship or a non-trusting relationship. How you give demonstrates the nature of your relationship with God. If you were to score your relationship with God based upon how you give, what would it be? The good news is it doesn't have to stay that number. The better news is the whole month we're going to devote on seeing how we can improve that number. But you've got to surrender. We must surrender. When we surrender, it means that we are giving our security into the hands of God. We're trusting him more than we trust our money. Boom, there it is. Wait. We're trusting God more than we trust our money. That's the journey. Are you ready to make that journey? Bottom line is we become joyful not only when we surrender, but, but also when we... Uh, when we put our money where our heart is. See, giving is not based upon the size of your bank account. Giving is based upon the nature of your heart. 
You give where your heart is. As you have set your heart on the things of God, when, when your heart is shaped by Christ and, and God's unconditional love and, and you're focused in on what God has done for you in that moment, then you can begin to see your life as, as surrendered to Christ. And, and as you are surrendered to Christ, then you start giving in a demonstration, not for people to think you're a big deal, not, I mean, my goodness, you don't, nobody even has to know. Most people don't know what you give. I, I don't know, and, and I, I don't, maybe your family members do, or maybe you have a close friend who does, but most people, uh, except for the closest to you, they don't know what you give, and, and I think that's a good thing. I'm not interested in that. Here's what does matter, though. What does matter is how tightly is your heart tied to glorifying God as your highest priority. See, when we give our money, we're giving not for our glory, but for God's glory. I want you to look at verse 12 and 13. That's how we'll end today. It says, the administration of this service. He's talking about giving here. The administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but it's abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While though... Uh, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and with all men. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, as you give with a joyful heart, it produces glorifying God. It produces glory to God. It, it expands the, the, the ministry and the work to the saints and through the saints around the world. It, it amplifies, it amps up a confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. It, it, it honors God. And if your heart beats to honor God, it's going to change the way you give. <clears throat> That's why I wanted to talk about uh, what we're going to do as a, as, as a family. And uh, uh, Maggie, my daughter's here, and, and uh, uh, Edie was at the uh, earlier hour. Uh, Mallory's at home sick. But um, it, this is what uh, Edie and I have committed to, and, and uh, we've talked about it with Maggie and Mallory. I don't know that they've gotten all of it, but today the full load comes out. All right, so we've committed to a 21-day financial fast. For 21 days, my family, beginning May 10th, that's Mother's Day, beginning May 10th, my family is going to cut out every non-essential thing in our home. We're, gonna, we're going to go through the spreadsheet of our daily expenditures, and we're going to stop spending for 21 days. We're going to stop spending money on the non-essentials. 21-day financial fast. The way that's going to look in my house It's going to look like this. It means that there will be no more trips to Starbucks. It, it, means, it means that we will, for 21 days, not eat out anywhere, not even Chick-fil-A. Nowhere, not even McDonald's. Nowhere, not even Taco Bell. 21 days. For 21 days... Um, we will not go on any shopping ex extravaganzas. There's not going to be, I mean, my children have plenty of clothes in their closet. Believe me. 
Uh, We all have plenty of clothes. For 21 days, there's not going to be buying any new clothes. For 21 days, uh, I I don't need your help with this. My girl's going to help me plenty, but here's my struggle. I I don't care about my hair, and I definitely don't care about my nails. I'm just not sure if that's an essential or a non-essential in the life of my ladies in my house, the hair and the nails. So we're under negotiation for that. We're not really sure about hair and nails yet. Um, uh, The... uh, 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 for, for, for 21 days, somebody said, somebody said well, you, for 21 days, that means you can't do uh, chocolate. You can't get any chocolate, buy any chocolate for 21 days. And I said, you're exactly right, even though I wasn't taking your inventory and you're taking my inventory. Thank you very much. Stop that. Uh, but, but I said, you're exactly right. And so for 21 days, I will not purchase another piece of chocolate and I will only consume that which I buy from now until May 10th. Huh? Right? So I'm going to load up. I'm going to have buckets and buckets of chocolate. (laughs) And by the way, we are starting this May 10th, and I'm inviting you to join me on May 10th. We're starting this on May 10th. That's Mother's Day. I'm telling you now so that you can join us on that journey. But here's the thing. You start buying right now for Mama. You go out today and the next several days, and you go get the most expensive stuff that you can get for Mama so that May 10th you don't have to do anything. It's already set in stone. The other thing is we're going to keep track. And and here's the reason, and and we're going to give cards out like this next week. The reason we're doing this is so that in my home, we give already, but we want to give more. And we need to see all the expenditures that we're making on chocolate and coffee that could be spent helping a teenager experience their life change of all life changes at student camp. We want to lean in to glorifying God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ. We want to lean in and give from a heart that's filled with joy. My hope is next Sunday you'll join me on that journey and that you will prayerfully give yourself to lean in, that we as a church would step up our game in glorifying God by helping those who are far from God find new life in Christ.